Ladies and gentlemen, the following podcast is set for one episode. Your host from Columbus, Ohio, is Michael Kirk. Welcome to the Outlaw Mudcast. Hello and welcome to the Outlaw Mudcast, your digital audio dirt sheet for all things Super Show. Let me start off this week talking about Sin City Con. This is a convention that took place this weekend, October 27th through the 29th. Sharonville, Ohio, Sharonville Convention Center, just north of Cincinnati, Ohio. I was there the whole weekend, and I was pretty much the only Super Show player there the whole weekend. HR and the foreman from the Unionverse were there Saturday and Sunday. But outside of us three, it was just the four people running the booth, running demos at Sin City Con. Steve Resk, Pat Mulligan, Zachary Snow, and Ashley Ann. Those were the four people there manning the booth. The biggest surprise from this weekend, Super Show the game-wise, was the release of three new weapons series cards. The microphone series had three cards released. Three on the website and three at Sin City Con as logoed Sin City Con promos. Those three cards are at number 15, follow up submission, microphone takeover. If your submission skill is greater than your opponent's submission skill, stop any strike. Randomly reveal one card in your hand. If it has microphone in the name, your next turn roll is plus one. A follow-up submission at number 18, Ambush with the Microphone. If you have another card in play with Microphone in the name, draw two cards. Randomly reveal one card in your hand if it has Microphone in the name. Your next turn roll is plus one. And a follow-up submission at number 21, Microphone Knockdown. If your opponent has another strike in play, stop any strike. Randomly reveal one card in your hand. If it has a microphone in the name, your next turn roll is plus one. I was not expecting to see these cards come out. So it's a big surprise they came out this weekend. I wonder if they had made a bigger deal about these cards debuting at Sin City Con. If that would have helped increase Super Show player attendance, I don't know. Outside of that, we really didn't have any products releasing at Sin City Con. They did have Matt Cardona competitor sets there. They had Fotista sets there. The new Fotista with the Gears of War inspired art. They had some old school packs from Wave 1. The three two-player box sets that they normally stock all the time. The El Super Ombre vs. Snake Pit set. Sage versus Camomile T set. And the set featuring... The Big Shot versus the Rising Sun. They had some Scallywager box sets there. Those sold out. They were pushing the Kickstarter campaign ending this Monday, October 30th, 9 a.m. Eastern Time. That was pretty much it, though, as far as Super Show is concerned. They did have Word Burglar there. I did play some Word Burglar Saturday night. It's what's known as a social deduction game. Here's the way it works. And the games I played in for Word Burglar had between five and six players. Maybe we did a game 
where, where there were only four, but it was that range. Here's the way it worked. We were shown a pool of cards depending on the number of players. Could have been nine, twelve. Each card had a particular word on it. We looked at the cards if we could, memorize the cards. Then, then the piles of cards were randomized. Each pile of cards was in its own Ziploc bag. After they were randomized, one pile was selected. The cards were taken out face down. They shuffled in one card per player. So let's say there were five players in the match. They pulled five cards out of the pack of whatever the word was going to be in that round of word burp. Then they added two cards to the five that were word burglar cards that said word burglar on them instead of the password, instead of the keyword we were looking for. Shuffled those up, dealt those out. Each player then secretly looked at the card. If you had the word, you were one of the people with the password. If you had word burglar on your card, you were the word burglar. Everyone closed their eyes. Then there was an instruction for the word burglars to open their eyes because there could be potentially one or two word burglars in the round. They identified each other, closed their eyes, then everyone opens their eyes up at the same time. And then what happens is players begin asking each other questions. One person starts off ask someone else, that person asks a different person, that person asks a different question to a different person that goes around and around. Questions where they're trying to figure out who knows what the password is, who doesn't know what the password is. They do that for five minutes. At the end of the five minutes, players try to identify who the two players were that were the word burglar. If they identify the burglar, that burglar, if they successfully identify him, that is, the burglar reveals that he is the burglar. He then gets to attempt to guess the password they were trying to keep secret. If he guesses correctly, he wins the round. If he guesses incorrectly, then the play other players win the round. Scoring is still being worked out in this game. This process repeats for the second word burglar. If there end up being two players, have to guess if there is a second word burglar. It was a very interesting game to play. I don't know if it's a game for me. I know that the couple times I was the burglar, everyone knew that I was the burglar. I don't know if it was just bad keywords, bad passwords, or what. I don't know. That was basically word burglar. I also was able to demo. Scare B&B. I just played it with two players. You could do it with up to six players. Each player is given six dice. Each has six different symbols on it. Each symbol represents a type of monster. The idea in the game is that you are trying to book a bed and breakfast, a room for various monsters. At the start of the match, there's a room deck. Four cards are basically turned over and shown. These are the rooms being booked. Every time a room is booked, 
The player who booked the room scores it. They take the card. A new room card is flipped. So there are always four room cards shown. Players take turns. You get your six dice. You roll the six dice. You can re-roll any number of them one time. So you roll your dice. You can keep certain faces. You can discard and re-roll certain die. At the end of your two rounds of rolling, you have the option to basically get a card for each one of the six face types. The six face monster types are zombie, vampire, ghost, creature, mummy, and magic. And so going back to the rooms, you might have a room where they're trying to book a zombie, a ghost, and a creature. So you look at your dice. If you have a zombie die, you can spend that zombie die to draw a zombie card. You can then do that for the ghost and then for the creature. Once you have all three types, you can then book the room. You take the room card, you score it. Each room card is worth so many victory points depending on how hard it is to book that room. When you hit 31 victory points, you win the game. They are developing various monster cards to have different types of bonuses, restrictions, rooms to have bonuses, restrictions. It's all very much a work in progress, but that's the basic structure of Scare B&B. I quite liked Scare B&B. I can see that turning out to be a pretty good game. Word Burglar seems like a good game, just not necessarily the game for me. That's what's going on, though, with SRG Universe at Sin City Con. Sin City Con itself is a con. It's a very small con. It's not a big con at all. There's not a lot of new product that I saw at Sin City Con. There were vendors. I only saw a couple vendors running demos. That's including SRG Universe. There was a lot of role-playing there, but you kind of had to know the role-playing games and be prepared when you went in. There were very few learn-to-play events there. So if you go to Sin City Con in the future, this, of course, could change from year to year. But I would say look at the schedule of events, see what interests you, and then plan your trip, plan going to the convention based around that schedule, that itinerary you set for yourself. Don't go into this con thinking, oh, I'll learn some things, I'll pick up some new games here and there. Not really that kind of con. There are quite a few vendors. A lot of them are really selling accessories or board game type things. Just not games they're creating, but they're just retailers. Very few actual new games game-specific vendors there. They did have an area for prototype games, games that are being developed, games that may come to market. There were some enjoyable games there. I played one game, Spoonies, that was developed as part of somebody's graduate dissertation. That was quite an interesting game. There were some campaign games, like a D&D 
style type game. Not really my cup of tea. Some very quick dice roll type games. I did enjoy a number of the games I played in the prototype area. Some I didn't. That was a nice feature they had there. I did get into a learn-to-play event for a racing game called Heat. That was actually an enjoyable game. It's a board game, but involves you moving race cars around a track. So there were enjoyable things to do at SimCityCon, don't get me wrong. But in my opinion, this is like a one-day con. This is a one-day con. You can go all three days, but pretty much if you go one day, you've seen everything they have to offer. You're not going to learn anything on day two you didn't learn on day one. They do have a nice board game library. So if you're there with some friends, you can check out a variety of board games. There's also a raffle mechanic to those board games. When you check out board games at the end of the con, there were certain games that you checked out. You could basically put in like your name for a drawing. If they draw your name, you get to win that game. But yeah, for me, this is like a one-day con. I'd recommend this con also for people who live, say, 30, 45 minutes away. Outside of that, it's really up to you if you want to drive in. Flying in, I don't know that I would ever recommend somebody fly in for this con. It's up to you. But to me, this is not a very big con. I'm happy that Super Show the Game was there. I'm happy that I got to see all those people again because I'll see them here. I might see them at PAX Unplugged. And then I probably won't see anybody from Super Show again until the next Grand Gathering, spring of 2024. So it was nice to see everyone again. The daily promos... For the con, we're given out in number order. So day one was number 15, card 15. Day two was 18. Day three was 21. But that's Sin City Con. The next big in-person live play event is November 4th. Level Up Games, Duluth, Georgia. Tickets on sale now, supershowthegame.com. Under the in-person and online events section, under the event portion, $30 for your ticket. Buy tickets sooner rather than later. That helps them figure out how many promo cards need to be shipped down from New York to Duluth for the tournament. For more about that tournament, listen to last week's show. Last week I had Hold the Line Harry on. We went through a lot. We do have one more additional piece of news I will talk about. Later on, when I cover the last LFF Trios Championship match. But yeah, for more information on ACC Presents, the Level Up CAC, listen to last week's show. First 20 or so minutes covers all of that. CCC News. We have the second finalist in the 2023 Creative Competitor Competition. Captain Kiddo won the second semifinal match. So. JAC versus Captain Kiddo is the finals matchup this year. Both players in the match have between now and November 8th, the second Wednesday in November, to produce and publish, put out on the Facebook group, 
all of the promo videos they're going to make for this round. Anything after November 8th won't be considered. Pat Mulligan will then have someone create for each contestant, for JAC and for Captain Kiddo, a single two to three minute video comprised of the videos they've provided for the CCC final match. Pat Mulligan will then get together, and I believe he's working on this now, a group of panelists. If it's anything like last year, they'll show those panelists video. The panelists will get to talk to myself because I'm the steward for JAC. I'm guessing they'll talk to Simon Strauss. He, from what I understand, is running the campaign for Captain Kiddo. And then they will vote. If there's a tie on the committee, Pat Mulligan will be the tie-breaking vote. This match will likely happen November 22nd or November 29th during an episode of Talk of the Universe. It could happen on the 15th, but from conversations I've had with Pat Mulligan, expect either the 22nd or the 29th. As far as promo videos and posts for the finals are concerned, I have not seen anything from either contestant on the SRG Super Show discussion group on Facebook. I know, because I'm running the JAC campaign, we will see a JAC song and videos starting, I would say, early to mid next week. I don't know about Captain Kiddo. I hope we see some things from him. Players have about a week and a half to get all of that done. Faction Wars news. Phase 0 is done for 14 of the 18 teams. The four teams that scored the lowest points in Phase 0 have to face each other. The two teams that win will go on to Phase 1 with the other teams, with the other 14 teams. The four teams are The Freak Show, Kongaholics, The Outlaws, and the Unionverse. Here are the matchups. The Kongaholics will face the Freak Show, and the Outlaws will face the Unionverse. From what I understand, it'll be just like it was in Phase 0 for the singles competitors. So, Power 10 players square off, Technique 10 players square off, so on and so forth, down to the Specialists square off. In addition, each captain will pick three players to play in stipulation matches. One tables match, one ladder match, one steel chain match. After all those are played, the points get added up. The team that scores the most points goes on to phase one. I don't know what the scoring is for this portion of phase zero. I don't know what the points are. I don't know if these are best of three or one fall. And that's all. This is all I have. Six singles matches, one tornado, one trio, three stipulation matches. Singles only. So the specialists won't be involved in these matches. I don't know when the deadline is. I do know that players have to use the same decks they used in the first portion of Phase Zero. So they cannot change their decks for these matchups. That's what I have on the final 
matches in Phase 0. Kickstarter Update At 6 p.m. Eastern Time, October 29th, so 15 hours left in the Kickstarter campaign, $16,242 have been pledged for the campaign from 173 backers. This means that the campaign will fund because it reached its funding goal of $5,000. Backers will also receive because they've met the following funding goals. An EDM spotlight print the size of a Super Show, the game card. Issue number 7, number 8, and number 9 of Super Show the Comic will go into early production. Two more Super Show promo cards will be released. The El Campeon de las Lamas updated competitor set will be released. The Expose the Opponent promo card. That's a lead submission card. And when I say released, I mean unlocked. Unlocked is probably the word I should be using. They've been unlocked. People who have backed the Kickstarter will receive these items in addition to what they backed in their pledge. And then finally, it's $16,000 because they've gotten over $16,000 pledged. There will be a kitchen sink card that goes out to everyone who backed the Kickstarter for six issues of Super Show the Comic at a level that includes stretch goals. Because some of the pledged tiers did not, but almost all of them did. Additionally, there were community goals met. The 200 shares on social media goal was finally met a little bit earlier Sunday. Today, as I'm recording this, a spotlight print of Polly the Pigeon Pecone has been unlocked. All the spotlight prints in this campaign are the size of a Super Show card. The comment goal was reached last week. 200 unique and positive comments, so a spotlight print of the Masked Llama was released. There are 173 backers, so the 150 backer goal and the 165 backer goal have been unlocked. I keep saying released. I should be saying unlocked. I apologize for that. This unlocks a spotlight print of Gropar the Great and Powerful, and it unlocks the Blindside Tackle promo card. This joins the Any Last Words promo card and the Send It Home promo card that was unlocked when we hit the $10,000 funding goal. All three of those cards have the same text. They add a finish from your discard pile to your hand. Your next turn roll is plus one for each finish in your discard pile. All three in that series have been unlocked. The 227 back goal has not been unlocked. That goal, had it been unlocked, would have seen all the spotlight prints upgraded to competitor cards. That didn't happen. There was a pre-launch goal. That unlocked Pump Up the Crowd, a lead grapple. We're still getting that. That was reached for 150 pre-launch follows. The bonus goal. The bonus goal required that every limited tier available sell out. As of right now, that has not happened. There are two limited tiers remaining to sell out. The issue number six, the big finish and super show cards tier. That did not sell out. There were 100 spots available. 24 remain. The Get All Six Books from Super Show the Comic Tier did not sell out. There were 40 spots available. 
14 remain. I doubt that all 38 of those will sell out between now and 9 a.m. October 30th. Again, that's just under 15 hours as I'm recording this. We could see a surge like that. I just don't think we will, which means the bonus goal will not be unlocked. The bonus goal was the new spectacle jumps up on the apron or jumps on the apron. That will not be given included with everyone who backed at a tier where you get stretch goals. It is available as an add-on. So if you wanted to get that, if for some reason you managed to hear this before the campaign ends Monday morning, you can log into Kickstarter and add that onto your pledge. That's where the campaign stands. I do not expect any additional goals to be met. I would be shocked if they were, but I don't expect that. So this pretty much is where it's going to be. Maybe it'll change by a few dollars or a few backers, but I don't expect any other goals to be unlocked. Everything that is unlocked now is what backers are going to get once this campaign closes. Again, the campaign will close early Monday morning. The moment the campaign closes, Kickstarter will seek to collect your money. So hopefully you have your credit card squared away. So that is not a problem. I know for some people that's been a problem in the past. So I would say if you pledged the Kickstarter, just watch for any emails Monday morning from Kickstarter. In case there are any problems, you can get those resolved quickly. They don't become bigger problems. One update came in. This is about the ACCW presents the Level Up CAC. Sunday, as I'm recording this, is the last day tickets will be available online on Super Show the Game. If you're hearing this, it's likely Monday morning. They may be slow to get it taken off of SuperShowTheGame.com, so you could try that still. But after Sunday, officially, tickets won't be on sale on the website anymore. They will be available in person if you go to Level Up Games in Duluth, Georgia, November 4th. If you show up in person, if for some reason your schedule changed and now you can attend, whereas before you couldn't attend, that's why you didn't buy your ticket. You're not going to show up and get turned away. You can still buy a ticket, go in, play in the tournament November 4th. They were just requesting people buy tickets as early as possible. So Level Up Games knows how many seats to set aside, how much product to purchase, so people who are attending can buy things like mystery boxes and payoff packs when they're at the ACCW Presents the Level Up CAC November 4th. That is pretty much going to do it for the news from this week. I do have results from online tournaments from featured matches over this past week. Let me go ahead and give those to you now. I'll start with last week's Sunday Night Fights that I couldn't give you because of time. Two matches on the match card. The opening match was for the LFF Underworld Championship. The challenger representing the mission the Keeper, who many of you may know as Ms. Southern Bell. The Keeper, using Ra Ra Perry, took on the current champion, the big guy, who, as a reminder, is champion with the newest version of Matt Stevens. 
This match only went to crowd meter zero. The dice were hot for the champion all night, and he takes the victory at crowd meter zero. Congratulations to the champion for retaining the Underworld Championship. Afterwards, we have a 20-player Grand Battle match that lasts over four hours. An incredible marathon of Super Show play. Players entered two at a time every six turn rolls until the crowd meter reached crowd meter four. At that point, there were 10 players in the match, and then they did not bring in any additional players until two people were eliminated. Once everyone had entered, they allowed the crowd meter to go from four up to five, and then the match was at crowd meter five for the remainder. There was only one hiccup with somebody not getting in for some reason, and I don't know why. Edo Ortiz, a.k.a. Everybody, a.k.a. Jorjito International Cool, a.k.a. The Friend Kane. Not sure which one was actually in the match, but he actually wasn't in the match at all. Somehow, he did not make entry into the match. I don't know why. The final three in the match end up being the Candyman playing as herself. Mr. Hollywood playing as the Phoenix Evie Fresh. And Jokerfish playing as the newest version of Jokerfish. Eventually, Jokerfish is eliminated. It comes down to Candyman versus Mr. Hollywood. Candyman tries to concede the match. Give the win to Mr. Hollywood. The judge, the GM of the United States Championship Division, who is running this big grand battle match, says, no, you must play it out. And the winner, after they play it out, is Candyman. So, Candyman will be the next contender to face Mean Megs for the LFF United States Championship. Congratulations to her on a hard-fought match. Let me bring this up, too. As a result of watching this match, and this is not official, but the SRG BOWS Steve Resk, the CEO of SRG Universe, creator of Super Show the Game, is kicking around the idea of instituting, in matches like this, a bump-in rule. This, I believe, would replace the bump-out rule. What would happen is this. If players bump and to clarify, only the highest rolls ever bump in a match. So, if let's use a triad for example. If two players roll a 10, one player rolls a 5, the two players that would have won bump. If two players roll a 5, one rolls a 10, there is no bump because there's only one person with the highest roll. The way the bump-in would work is this. If the highest rolls bump, both of those players get to draw and get to take a turn. The only restrictions on that are they cannot play cards against each other. They must play cards against other players. The order of who goes first in this scenario is based on the last person of the two players who are bumping in that enter the match. So if it's a match like a grand battle where people come in in staggered entrances or a birdcage has the same idea. 
the last entrant goes first. If for some reason they both came in at the same time, which happened in this match, it would be a roll-up. But this is something not official, not in the game yet, but something that we may see in future multiplayer matches that have more than six people in them. That was Sunday. Monday, we have a tournament, Monday Night Fights. Ten players in this tournament, two groups, five players per group. Each player plays the other four in the group. Top two records per group advance. Your semifinalists were the Cannoli as the Masked Beetle and Carlos Lumbre as El Superombre. Your finalists were the prize fighter Simon Dabner playing as the second version of the SRG BOSS and brother Daniel playing as Commissioner Drew Madsen. The winner of Monday Night Fights, the prize fighter Simon Dabner. Congratulations to the prize fighter for winning on Monday. Tuesday. We have a featured match, the LFF Tornado Tag Team Championship on the line after the dojo. The challenger, the Italian Bombata, playing as his creation, the Paddock. The champion, the Cannoli, playing as his creation, the Duo Decimal System. This match doesn't go past crowd meter zero. We see a great play from Bombata, but the winner here, still champion, the Cannoli. Congratulations to the Cannoli. For successful defense. Wednesday, after Talk of the Universe, the LFF Trios Championship was on the line. There was some back and forth about if the championship match would happen, would not happen, if it would have to share the stage with another featured match. It stands alone Wednesday night. The challenger, Press 1P, playing as the good, the bad, and the whiskey. Press 1P was part of the impact faction that one faction was for that's why he's getting this shot the champion simple chuck playing as the second version of the higher class in a match that goes to crowd meter zero the winner and new champion press 1p john polverino congratulations to press 1p for becoming the new lff trios champion he will face his next challenger at accw presents the Level Up CAC, November 4th. That man is the Mad Custodian. The Mad Custodian is the next challenger for new champion Press 1P with James Booker on deck to face the winner of that match. Something controversial did come up during this match that sparked a lot of controversy in the community, so let me weigh in on it here. During the match, there was a moment when the champion missed his gimmick. His gimmick triggers when either he or his opponent roll 30 for their turn roll. The challenger rolled 30. The champion did not notice that and then did not do what his gimmick tells him to do. The judge at the time, the general manager, Chris Pagillo, did see it, eventually did step in after the challenger had drawn for turn and after he was looking through his Discard pile, preparing to pass his turn into Barry. With agreement from the champion and the challenger, they decided to let that go and then continue to playing the match as normal. But because a gimmick like that is not optional, next time they would not allow it to be missed. They would enforce it. It later came out that the challenger had noticed this at the time, did not say anything. 
So the question came up, what is the responsibility of everyone in the match regarding things like gimmicks or card effects that are mandatory if one player notices that it should happen and the other doesn't? Does a player need to remind the other player that, hey, you have to do this because this has triggered and the rules say you have to do this? I am somewhat sympathetic to the idea of not having to tell your opponent, hey, you missed this. It feels weird to me that a player should have to basically coach his opponent on things that could essentially lead to his own defeat. I don't think you should have to be the cause of your own defeat. On the other hand, it is mandatory. And from hearing discussions from multiple people through the community, it seems like what people want going forward is that you have to tell your opponent if you see him miss a trigger that he missed it. Now, if both players miss it, that's just what it is. But if one of the two players catches it, it's going to be, the way I'm seeing it, mandatory that you remind your opponent of a missed gimmick, a missed card effect. That seems like that is what the player base, the powers that be, want to happen. And so I'm fine with that. This hasn't been a huge controversy for me. Accidents happen in games all the time. But if the player base thinks that the proper etiquette should be, you remind your opponent, even if it's a big match for like a creative competitor tournament or a championship, even then at high level play, you should still remind your opponent, then so be it. I'm not going to argue with the community. At the end of the day, as many people have told me, this is wrestling cards and dice. It's not that serious. I kind of wish I had something more profound or more weighty to add, but, you know, if that's what people want the rules to be, that you have to remind your opponent of those effects, okay. You know, like many rules in this game that I disagree with, I just accept it. I may voice my opinion to the powers that be, but if that's the rule, that's how I'll play. Thursday, we have Chibi's Thursday Night Fights. Eight players in this tournament. Two groups, four players per group. Each player plays the other three in the group. Top two records per group advance into the top cut. In the top cut, the semifinal matches are played using the steel cage stipulation. The finals are played using the ring of fire stipulation. I believe there was a coin flip to choose that. It was between ring of fire and main event. Ring of fire won the coin flip. Your semifinalists were... Alec Ventresca as lukewarm Stephen Houston, and the LARPer as numero uno. Your finalists, Carlos Lumbre as El Superombre versus Rowdy Rond as Citizen X with the winner of Chibi's Thursday Night Fights, Carlos Lumbre. Congratulations to him on another great finish this week. Saturday, I have one locals report from RRCW in Indiana. They had a five-player round-robin tournament to determine the other person to play in the inaugural RRCW championship match. After that five-player round-robin tournament, the winner, Aaron L. Aaron L., playing his boy Howdy, took on Tim White, who'd won the previous tournament to determine a contender. 
and Aaron L. wins. So Aaron L. with Boy Howdy is the new RRCW champion. Congratulations to her for that win. There was also a number one contender match for the RRCW Multiversal Championship. As a reminder, the Multiversal Championship can be defended in either a Tornado Tag Team match or a Trios match. When someone becomes a champion, they name either the Trio or Tornado Tag Team they didn't use to win the championship, and then the competitor they used to win and the competitor from the other type, Tornado Tag and Trio being the two types, they name those two, and that's who they are defending as. The contender match was a trios match. We had Tim White versus Brian Ogozelic. The winner of that match, Brian Ogozelic. So Brian Ogozelic with the Elite will take on current RRCW Multiversal Champion Faith Bodie or Body, I'm not sure how it's pronounced, at some point in the future in either a Tornado Tag Team match or a Trios match for the championship. This brings us to Sunday Night Fights. The newest Sunday Night Fights taking place October 29th. The one I started out with was from the 22nd. The first match on the card for Sunday Night Fights was the Hollywood Heavyweight Championship match. The Hollywood Heavyweight Championship created by Big Picture Premium. The champion, Rambo Apocalypse, representing the TVA, playing as EC3, the original EC3. His challenger, Eddie Fury, playing as himself in a tables, ladders, and chains match. A match format that benefits Eddie Fury because that particular match format gets up into high crowd meters. And Eddie Fury's gimmick is that his printed five skill is plus the crowd meter. So the higher the crowd meter goes, the stronger his competitor gets. This match ends up going to crowd meter six. I should probably say level six. The crowd meter in TLC goes up by levels. It starts at level one. They took it all the way up to level six. And the winner hitting the finish at level six, new Hollywood heavyweight champion. Eddie Fury, congratulations to Eddie Fury for successfully becoming the champion. One slight bit of controversy. The crowd meter, I believe, went up on the more ladders meter when Eddie Fury hit a stop that increased the crowd meter, but both players continued playing as if it were the more ladders crowd meter. And so when Eddie Fury hit a strike finish, they treated it as if it caused a finish roll when it should not have caused a finish roll. Neither the players nor the referee slash commentators caught that. Sometimes I wonder if there just needs to be a dedicated referee that doesn't participate in commentary at all. Because I feel like sometimes that's how these things get missed. If you're doing commentary, you get distracted and you miss certain cards or certain plays happening. That's something maybe to think about. We'll see if this erupts in any sort of controversy. But as of right now, Eddie Fury is 
the Hollywood Heavyweight Champion. Again, congratulations to him. The next match on the card, the Veterans Championship on the line. The challenger here, Ed Galvano, known to most people as Evil at the Cheesehead. He was playing as the Mistress of Mayhem, J.K. Brawling, taking on the current Veterans Champion, Jeff McPeak, playing as Pretty Boy Snow. In a relatively short match, with Jeff McPeak rolling in a dominant fashion for the majority of the match, Jeff McPeak hits the finish at crowd meter zero, rolls a nine, the challenger cannot break out. Jeff McPeak is still the Veterans Champion. After the match, the general manager for the Veterans Championship, Brian Schmidt, said that he will give Ed Galvano a shot down the line because it was, by and large, due to bad dice. For right now, though, he's going to have to wait on that. The next challenger for the Veterans Championship will be Brock Carson. Many of you may know him as Fotista. There's been no day or time yet when that will happen, but he is the next challenger. And then the final match of the night, the American Interstellar Harder Core 23-7 Championship. The challenger here, Matty Bar 1, playing as the original version of Overdog. The champion, Brian, wait for it, Schmidt, playing as Alexander Slamilton. A no disqualification match, from what I understand. It goes to crowd meter two. The champion dominant early on, but the challenger able to make some headway and at crowd meter two hits the finish, rolls a 12, and is now your new American Interstellar Harder Core 23-7 champion. Congratulations to Matty Bar One for becoming the new champion. And that is it for Sunday Night Fights. As far as upcoming events are concerned, there are no online events listed on supershowthegame.com right now, but expect something Monday night, expect something Thursday night, dojo Tuesday night, twitch.tv slash srguniverse. November 4th, ACCW presents the Level Up CAC Level Up Games, Duluth, Georgia. That's the next big in-person play event. After that, PAX Unplugged, December 1st through December 3rd, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Philadelphia Convention Center. I don't have any updates on PAX Unplugged right now. I don't have any updates about the Play Pure Tournament. I reached out to Jeremy Steigerwald and General Manager Clace about that. I have no information to give you after the back and forth I had with those two gentlemen. When I get more information, I will give that to you. With that being said, that is going to do it for this week's episode of the Outlaw Mudcast. I would like to thank all of you for listening, and good day.